0: All right. Hello, Christ community. Happy New Year to all of you. I am super excited about this coming year and all that God wants to do in our lives. You know, we're a church that is all about um, seeing God change people's stories, and that includes our own story. I really believe God wants to change your story and my story this coming year. You know, one of the things I actually uh, love about the first few weeks of, of a new year is that it often encourages us to look at areas of our lives that we want to change. And we start making New Year's resolutions, right? To lose some weight or to improve our marriage or to join a health club or whatever. Now, I don't know about you, but but one of the things I've learned about New Year's resolutions is that they don't, usually they don't work. Um, the goals, the promises, you know, the willpower, they often end up fading. And within a few months, I'm kind of back into the, the old groove. You know, I'm back to eating a bowl of ice cream before bed, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm putting my treadmill on Craigslist or whatever. So, and it At times, it makes me wonder, is change even possible? Is it really possible to experience genuine transformation in a particular area in our lives? not just in terms of diet and exercise? What about even more significant things? What about that anger that keeps surfacing in our lives? What about that area of compromise, that little white lie that has become a full-blown cover-up? What about that secret pleasure that's becoming a controlling habit? What about the distance we feel in our relational world, the lack of real friendships? Is real significant change in our lives even possible See, that's the question that we're going to be honing in on today as we start a new teaching series. About a a year and a half ago, we started a summer series in the book of Luke, which um, is an awesome, detailed, eyewitness-based account of Jesus' life. And so we initially, that summer, we went through the first five chapters, and then we took a break. And then last fall, we picked it up again in August and September, focusing on this section in chapter six, where Jesus calls us to live this life of overflowing love. Well, today we are continuing this journey in the book of Luke. We're we're picking up right where we left off and we're calling this series in plain text as an opportunity to get to know the real Jesus, not what our society thinks about him, not what our professors think about him. Let's focus our hearts on what Jesus actually said and did. And so that's what we're doing over the next few months, walking verse by verse through this amazing book to see and experience Jesus in plain text. So if you have your Bible or a Bible app or whatever, please turn to Luke 6, beginning in verse 43. In these three verses here, Jesus addresses the topic of change. How does change happen in our lives? So I want us to read this passage out loud together. It's going to be on the screen here. Luke 6, verses 43 to 45. Let's read this out loud together. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is God's word to us. So, this passage is fascinating in what it teaches us about change, about how change happens. One of the first things that we notice here in this passage is that real change involves recognizing reality. Jesus says that each tree is recognized by its fruit. He is urging us to honestly evaluate and assess the fruit of our lives. What kind of fruit is your life producing? Are we willing to honestly evaluate how we're doing? You know, as I mentioned before, this time of year is a great time of year to do this. Are there areas of your life and my life that need attention? Things we've been ignoring, things we've grown apathetic about, issues of integrity or character, issues of anger or negativity or greed or jealousy perhaps an addiction or a negative habit, are we willing to honestly evaluate the fruit of our lives, to go before the Lord and to ask him, God, what in my life needs some attention? What needs some attention? What is an area in my life where you are wanting to bring about change? Because you see, if if we don't recognize an area of bad fruit, if we choose to ignore areas of bad fruit, change will never happen. It begins with us recognizing reality, owning reality, admitting, assessing what's really going on. So so that's the the first principle. Another aspect of change that Jesus highlights in this passage is is realizing that change is a process. It's a process. I mean, change doesn't happen overnight. I'm I'm so thankful he uses the analogy of of fruit here rather than a microwave right, or whatever because the, the analogy of fruit is so helpful. Fruit doesn't appear overnight. It doesn't happen instantaneously. It takes time. We, you know, we all we want instant change. We want an instant fix. But change doesn't usually happen that way. It's a journey, which means we need to give ourselves grace in this process. As Pastor KJ talked about last week, Jesus' yoke is is not heavy. It is light. Jesus wants to help us bear good fruit and that process takes time. I mean, there are areas in my life that I wish God would change overnight, you know, things I wish God would just fix. But but often that's not the way he works. Change is not a, a pass fail proposition. It's a journey of walking with Jesus. Getting back up when we fail keeping our eyes fixed on his sufficiency and his grace. I, I love Jesus' words in John 15, verse five. Um, I, these are so important. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Apart from Jesus, apart from this intimate connection with Jesus, we can do nothing. We will not bear fruit apart from this connection with him. So as we talk about change today, God is inviting us not into a quick fix. He is inviting us into a grace-filled journey. With him, Okay, so these two principles, recognizing reality and and realizing the changes of process, these are important, but they're sort of prerequisites. They're, they're they're, They're prerequisites. They're preliminary. But what Jesus does next in this passage is get to the heart of real change, of how real change happens in our lives. And what he says here is a total game changer. It is a total game changer. It is a huge paradigm shift. Not only for those who were initially hearing his words, but for us as well. See, so often, our approach to change is external. Say, so here's what God's word says. You know, here's what you're supposed to, here are the commands or whatever. Here's how you're supposed to live. Now do it. Set some goals. Set some New Year's resolutions. Get some advice from Dr. Google. Establish accountability. You know, steal your willpower. Think positive thoughts and change will happen. And while this strategy sounds good and it sells lots of self-help books, it it is missing the fundamental core issue when it comes to real change. Look at what Jesus says in verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, according to Jesus, real change is not simply about knowledge. It is not simply about willpower. It's not about trying hard to obey a list of morally good activities. No, real change is all about the heart, engaging the heart. See, Jesus is saying here, if you want to change some area in your life, you have got to look at your heart. Now, so what does that mean? See, when when we think of the heart from a biblical perspective, I'm not talking about the, the organ that's beating in our body, you know, in our chest or whatever. But when we think of the heart from a biblical perspective, we often tend to think, oh, the heart means emotions. Our heart is the location of our feelings, you know, and feelings can be sort of fickle. So what we're often taught, I was taught this early in my Christian life, we're often taught, especially in Christian circles, don't trust your heart. Don't trust your heart. We need to trust our minds, right? We need to fill our mind with God's commandments and his word. And, and, and that's, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm not saying that's bad at all. It, it is not. But we need to remember that the Pharisees filled their minds with God's word. And they totally missed Jesus. They totally missed him. Why? Jesus said in Matthew 18, their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. See, we need to realize that change is not simply about filling our minds with information. It is about engaging our hearts, which means that we need a clearer understanding of the heart from a biblical perspective. See, according to the Bible, according to Scripture, the heart is not simply about our feelings. The heart is the core of who we are. See, the heart, from a biblical perspective, the heart is the location of our will. It's the location of our passions. It's the location of our thoughts, our loves, our creativity, our courage, our personality. I mean, if you do a word study of the word heart in the Bible, there are dozens and dozens of verses. If you do a word study, you will discover that the heart is the very center and core of our lives. So we read things in scripture like, love God with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek him with all your heart. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Search my heart, oh God. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Do not lose heart. Forgive from the heart. Love each other from the heart. May the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. Solomon even says, this is so powerful. Solomon says in Proverbs four twenty three, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything you and I do flows from our hearts. I want to say that again because it is so important. Everything you and I do flows from our heart. I mean, no wonder the heart is such a critically important aspect of how change happens. You change the heart, you change the behavior. You change the heart, you change the behavior. I mean, the way Jesus talks about the heart in this passage is so fascinating. He describes the heart as a storehouse, Right, He says, the good man brings forth good things that are stored up in his heart. See, our, our, our actions, either good or bad, our actions flow from this storehouse in our hearts. Our words, our habits, how we treat other people, our level of joy, our peace, all of these things flow from here. They flow from the heart. So if we really want to see God bring change into some area of our life this coming year, if we want to see that, it is essential that we engage our heart. So what does that mean? What does that look like? The best way to engage our hearts is to utilize, um, utilize a method that Jesus uses all the time. He asks questions heart-engaging questions. Jesus was always asking people questions, questions that engaged the heart. See, part of our problem when it comes to change is that we're asking the wrong question. So often, we, we, again, we tend to focus on the external on external behavior. So the question we often, so let's say we acknowledge some area in our life needs to be changed or whatever, and so we see this area, the question we typically ask is this, what do I need to do to stop this behavior? What do I need to do to stop this? What do I need to do to change this area in my life? For instance, our words. Jesus Jesus uses this specific example in this passage. He says, "For, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Okay, so he uses the example of our words flow from the heart. So let's say one of the areas of our life that needs changing is our words. Maybe we've gotten into the habit of using the Lord's name in vain. Um, or maybe we are continually criticizing other people rather than encouraging them. So once we recognize this is a problem, my words are a problem here. Once we recognize this is a problem, we then need, we then typically ask, okay, what do I need to do to stop this? And so we make promises. I promise I'm going to do better. I promise this year I'm, 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 do, I'm not going to criticize my wife anymore. Or we establish consequences. Whenever I use the Lord's name in vain, I'm going to put a, you know, a bar of soap in my mouth, okay? Um, I, I watched Christmas Story. This, that's kind of fresh in my mind here. But, but, but we're determined, right? We're we are focused. But how long will that last? Not very long. Why? Because my heart has not been changed. I'm trying to change behavior without changing my heart. See, we're asking the wrong question. What do I need to do to fix this? What do I need to do to stop this behavior? That's the wrong question. That question doesn't engage the heart. It's only focused on external behavior. So I want to offer three alternative questions to ask ourselves before the Lord when we're facing an area we want to change in our lives. And Jesus asked these questions in in one way or another. He got to these same three questions. But these are incredibly powerful and important questions that get below the surface, which we all need to do. Enough about just, hey, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to stop doing this. No, let's get below the surface. These questions help us get below the surface and engage our hearts. Okay, first engaging question. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down because there'll be a little homework assignment later. Okay, so uh, uh, first heart engaging question is this, what do I really want? what do I really want? See, remember the heart is the location of our desires and and our desires impact our decisions. And so this question is a really important one. What do I really want? In his book, Surfing for God, which is an excellent book. I think it's the best book out there on um, battling with pornography. Just excellent book, Surfing for God. Michael Cusick, the author, he, he, he tells about how in the midst of his own struggle with pornography, he went to see a, a, a trusted counselor. This, this counselor, he knew, this guy knew the Lord. He, he knew he knew the Lord. He knew the Bible. And so Michael fully trusted his counsel. And so when they met, Michael shared initially in the, in the session, he just shared openly about his struggle with porn and lust and masturbation. And, and this counselor asked several questions about his life story and sexual history and all that. And then at the end of the, of the session, near the end of the session, this, this trusted counselor said, Hey, Michael, if what you really want to do is look at porn, then go ahead and look at porn. And Michael laughed, you know, he, he, was thinking, he thought he was joking, but, but he said it again. Hey, Michael, listen, listen. If you really want to look at porn and masturbate, then go ahead and do it. To which Michael said, no, now, hold on, is this some kind of reverse psychology thing, treatment that you're trying on me here? But his counselor friend just stared at him. And so Michael, finally, Michael blurted out, I don't, I don't get it. Why are you telling me to go ahead and look at porn and masturbate? That's not what I want to do. The counselor got a smile on his face. Exactly. That's my point. That's the point. Looking at pornography and masturbating is not what you really want to do. You see, in that moment, Michael discovered that his heart had a deeper desire than porn. See, what what he was really longing for was connectedness. He was longing for love. He was longing for acceptance and affirmation. That's what his heart really wanted. Porn had become just a cheap su- substitute. It didn't satisfy what he was truly longing for. See, what do we really want? In the deepest part of our heart, what do we really want? Man, it's such an important question. Such a powerful question. I guarantee when we honestly start, a- start asking that question and answering that question, we will discover that there is a good desire beneath all the addictions that we struggle with. There is a good desire beneath all the addictions we struggle with. The substance abuse, the shopping, the comfort food, the porn, those are not what we really are wanting. See, what our hearts are really longing for is the acceptance, the love, the significance, the affirmation that Jesus alone can give. See, there's a very very important truth here that often gets overlooked by many Christians. Here's the truth. When you become a Christian, when, when you place your faith in Jesus, at that moment, you are given a new heart. You are given a good heart. You are given a redeemed heart. You are given a heart that at its core longs for wholeness. It longs for God. It longs for intimacy with God. Uh, you're, you're given a heart that, that that will only be satisfied in him. I mean, the promises in Ezekiel and Jeremiah declare that in the new covenant, in the new covenant, that Jesus will establish it that was past tense for them, future tense for them, it's past tense for us. The the new covenant Jesus established in these promises, it says God will take our heart of stone and give us a soft heart. His, His very own presence will come and live in our new redeemed hearts. Your heart is good. Your heart is good. So the question, this question is an incredibly powerful one. What do I really want? What do I really want? Do I really want that, all that alcohol that I'm drinking? Is that what I really want? Do I really want the porn that I'm looking at? What am I really thirsty for? See, as Jesus declares in this passage in Luke 6, there is a storehouse of good in our hearts. We just need to connect with those good desires and feed those things because they're there. They're there. So as we face this upcoming year, are you willing to look deep within and ask yourself before the Lord, just ask yourself, what do I really want? When I'm giving into this, what am I really thirsty for? Because this isn't satisfying. So what am I really thirsty for? What do I really want? Okay, that's a critical question. It's It's a heart engaging question. It's not easy to ask, but it's a hard engaging question. Okay, second critically important question that can engage our hearts. Again, we're going below the surface here. So here's a second question. What do I really love? What do I really love? Remember, the heart is the location of our deepest desires, our, our deepest loves. And that love, whatever it happens to be, is what determines our behavior. It impacts our choices. It impacts our decisions. So, for instance, imagine, this isn't too hard to imagine, imagine a teenage boy who loves to sleep in during the summer. So every day in the summer, he never gets out of bed until the crack of noon, okay? Um, that, that's not too hard to imagine, is it, right? But all of a sudden, one day on August 1st, at 6 a.m., He jumps out of bed, and he heads off somewhere. What on earth could result in such a huge transformation? The beginning of football practice. His love of football was greater than his love for sleep. See, what we love impacts our choices. It impacts our behaviors, Now, football and sleep are are a minor thing compared to what Jesus is describing here in Luke chapter 6. Jesus is describing a battle between good and evil that's happening in our hearts. And at the core of this battle, often at the core of this battle, is love. Love. And there, there are different loves that are vying for first place, right? And, and whoever is number one impacts our behavior. So football all of a sudden overtakes it. He, he didn't stop loving sleep, but football was a greater love. So whatever's in first place impacts behavior. And so Jesus, this, Jesus gives us a vivid example of this. Um, in Matthew 6, this, this applies to all sorts of areas, but he gives us a specific example here in Matthew 6 when he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, Jesus, in this specific example, he's saying that if, if money is an issue in our lives, If we struggle to give freely and generously, if we get offended any time the subject of giving is brought up, you know, if we regularly spend more than we make and our debt is climbing higher and higher, Jesus says, if, if these things are happening, Jesus says, this is ultimately a heart issue. It is ultimately a heart issue. It's ultimately about what you and I love. So, so if greed is an area of our life in which we know God wants to begin to change, that must begin in our heart. It begins in our heart, not in promises and New Year's resolutions and all that. It begins in our heart by asking this question, what do I really love? What do I really love? And repenting of our love for things and for money, if that is a greater love than our love for God. We repent. But again, that's just one area. It could be a love for approval, the approval of people. And that supersedes our love for God. And that's why we keep giving in to peer pressure, or it's why we keep sleeping around. You know, it's because we love approval and acceptance of people more than we love God. This, this is a hard issue. Before I mentioned using the Lord's name in vain, um, you know, and we look at our words, right, and that flows from the heart, Jesus says. So, I mean, stop and just think about that. Should we, let's say we struggle using Jesus Christ in vain or whatever, using that name. Think about it. Would we ever think of taking the name of someone we love and using it as a swear word? No, <laughs> we would never do that, Right? We would never take the name of someone we love and use it as a swear word. So th- th- this, is an, this is a heart issue. This is a heart issue. Anytime we're struggling in some area where we're not following the Lord, this question is such an important one to ask. What do I really love? What do I really love? Because love is often, it's, it's what's driving some of these decisions we're making. What do I really love? Okay, there's one other question that I urge us to regularly ask it to engage the heart. And again, this one is so important as well. All three of these are so important. But here's the third question. What do I really believe? What do I really believe? See, our beliefs are ultimately a heart issue. They're a heart issue. So we can say the right words. We can memorize certain facts or whatever. But what do we truly believe? See, that's found in our hearts. It's not found in how many verses we can spout off. It's found in our hearts. I mean, how many Christians can recite John three sixteen? for God so loved the world, but they don't really believe in their heart of hearts that God loves them. See the heart, the heart is where we truly believe. It's where our true beliefs are located. What we believe in our hearts impacts how we live and our enemy The devil, our enemy, knows this, which is why he utilizes its genius. He's been utilizing it for centuries. He utilizes a very specific strategy that's targeted at this specific heart issue. What's his strategy? Deception. He lies to us. Jesus said that Satan's native language is lying. That's what he does. And when we believe his lies, he influences our behavior. I mean, this is how he enticed Adam and Eve to sin against this God who loved them so much. And this is how this happened. It wasn't by telling Adam and Eve to sin. It wasn't by urging them to rebel against God. No, 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 that wouldn't have worked. All Satan did was tell them a lie about God. God doesn't really love you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. God, you're, you're, he's spoiling your fun. God's causing you to miss out on real life. That's what's really going on here. And they believed the lie. They believed Satan's lie. And the rest is history. See, when we have a particular area that we struggle with, a particular area we're struggling with. Maybe it's perfectionism. Maybe it's discouragement. Maybe it's being critical of other people. Maybe it's feeling distant in our relationships. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's jealousy. One of the most important questions we can ask is this. Is there a lie I'm believing? Is there a lie I'm believing? For instance, going back to the example I mentioned earlier about our words. Let's say there's a woman named, uh, named Shannon. I'm just making this up. A woman named Shannon who struggles with being critical of other people. She's always criticizing her spouse. She's always criticizing her children. She's always critical of her friends and people at work or whatever. And she hates this about herself. She hates this. And she's tried to stop it, but nothing seems to work. She doesn't know how to change. Well, what if she goes before the Lord and she asks Jesus this question, "Why am I so critical?" is there a lie that I'm believing? Is there a lie I'm believing? And let's say Jesus brings to her mind her own childhood, how her mother was always verbally criticizing her. Her grades, how she looks, how she did chores, it was never good enough. And so she realizes that early on in her life, she began to believe this lie that she was never good enough. She made an agreement with that lie in her heart. I'm not good enough. Nothing I ever do is right. Nothing I ever do is good enough. So now, that, that, that lie got lodged in there. So now as an adult, she lives with this belief she's not good enough. That nothing she ever does is good enough. And so she hates herself. She hates herself because she feels that she can never measure up. Now guess, when you hate yourself because you feel like you can never measure up, guess how you view other people? That just gets projected onto other people. That same lens, they can never measure up either. If I can't measure up, no one else is going to measure up either. So this one lie that got rooted in her heart as a little girl is now wreaking havoc in her life as an adult. So how can she break the power of that lie? Well, there are a few things here that are important. First of all, she needs to forgive her mom for being critical being so critical of her. Forgiveness is so important, and unforgiveness just kind of makes these lies just sort of fester and get worse. So, first of all, she needs to, before the Lord, just needs to forgive her mom. And I've done other messages on that. That's a whole other sermon, but forgiveness, choosing to forgive. Secondly, and this relates to what we're talking about here, secondly, she needs to verbally, in prayer, specifically renounce this lie. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that I'm never good enough. I renounce the lie that no one will ever accept me, that no one will ever approve of me. I break that lie. I break the agreement, my agreement with that lie. I bring that to the cross. So that's the second thing, renounce the lie. And then third, and this is a good part, she needs to ask the Lord, okay, what truth do you want to give me in exchange for this lie? And then listen to what Jesus says. Perhaps he might say to her, I love you just the way you are. In me, you are enough. I have gifted you. I love you. I accept you. Rest in my love for you. So she can now begin living out of this new truth rather than being in bondage to that old lie. And this is is a process. That's why I said she can begin living it. This is a process. She's believed that for decades, so this is going to take some time, but at least she's on the right path to change. She's now believing the truth more and more and exposing the lies more and more. So let me just ask you, what lies have lodged themselves in your heart and now those lives, and how are those lives impacting your relationships? How, how are they impacting your identity, your emotional struggles, your engagement in ministry? See, it's worth asking that question and then letting Jesus speak the truth to your heart in the midst of that. Now, now, by the way, I'm going to just mention, we have a specific ministry here at Christ Community that helps people walk through this process of identifying lies. Often these lies get rooted in wounds in our past. And so this prize, a prayer process um, that helps identify these lies and and welcomes Jesus' truth into these places of pain and all that. It's it's called um, Hope Abounds. Um, And it it especially helps with painful memories, things like that. It's called Hope Abounds. You can call the church and set up a a prayer appointment, make an appointment. That's what this ministry is for. to help people walk in truth rather than the lies. And also, let me just say in addition addition to that, also sometimes just seeing a Christian counselor can help unpack some of these heart issues. I've, various times over the years, I've seen a Christian counselor um, at times when I just feel stuck and it, it, it helps have an objective voice, look at the, and help expose some of the lies we're believing in the truth that Jesus wants to speak in those things. So those are a couple of things that if you, if you feel stuck, I encourage you or feel like, man, this is just too big for me. I can't do it on my own. I encourage you hope abounds. You can call and make an appointment or consider um, a, a Christian counselor. Okay. So here's what Jesus is offering us today. As we look ahead to 2017, he is offering us a pathway to experiencing real change, to honestly evaluate the fruit in our lives, identifying an area that God wants us to focus on, and then to engage our hearts in that area by asking heart-level questions. Now, I want to mention a very specific way. This is the homework piece. A very specific way to apply this message. In order to go deeper into our heart, <clears throat> we need some time. This isn't one of those things, oh, I just leave and maybe think about it sometime, you know, this is one of those, I think God wants us to apply this. So we need time. We need some space to focus on the Lord. So here's the challenge. I want to challenge all of us here to fast sometime this upcoming week. It could be a 24 hour fast, or you skip breakfast and lunch one day. You go from dinner to dinner, so you skip breakfast and lunch. It, so it could be a 24-hour fast. It could be a two-day fast. It could be a five-day fast, like we uh, some of us did last year. And there are a number of others that are going to do it again this year, a five-day fast. It could be a fast from technology. No television, no Netflix, no Internet or email, unless work-related or whatever, for a, for a 24-hour period of time or for a two-day period of time or for a week. Now, we we put together a flyer with some more practical information about fasting. That's in the information area. But the point of a fast is to remove something from our life for for a particular length of time, something important to us like food or technology, and during that time to focus on the Lord. Fasting is so powerful because it gives us margin and space to focus on the Lord in a more earnest way than typically we would. So if you're fasting from food, Spend time with Jesus, praying during the times you would be eating. If you're fasting from technology, get alone with Jesus when you would have been watching Netflix. And, and here's what I would encourage you to focus on for at least part of the prayer time. There, I mean, seek the Lord about our church and all sorts, of the city, all sorts of other things. But here's what I would encourage you to take some of that time and focus a part of that fasting prayer time. Focus on what we've talked about today. Do a personal fruit inspection. An honest look at your life. Just go before the Lord and ask God: is, is there in my life? Is there some unhealthy fruit? Is there an area, Jesus? Is there an area that you want to bring some change in? And then engage your heart. And again, this isn't like a three-minute thing. Oh, three questions, quick, quick, quick! No, this is a, engage your heart. This takes some time, but engage your heart by asking these questions. First of all, what do I really want? Maybe make a list, have a journal there. Just make a list of all the things you really are longing for. What do you really want? The deepest desires in your heart. Write them out. Second question, what do I really love? Honestly, ask that question. Are there things that you are loving more than God? And if so, repent of those things. And the third question, what do I really believe? Are there lies that I'm believing? Are there wounds that these lies are rooted in? Lord, just unpack that with the Lord. And if, if, if God exposes a lie or a couple lies you're believing, and you renounce those, you repent of those, you renounce those, and then ask him, Jesus, what truth do you want to give me in exchange for these lies? What's the truth that you want me to live by? Again, folks, these are not... Multiple choice questions. These are not easy answer questions. Take your time. And fasting provides a great way to focus our hearts at the start of this new year, to focus our hearts in an intentional way on these heart engaging questions and letting Jesus speak into those places. I mean, what what a great way to start this new year. As we take time, we take space in our lives, and we go, we go to these places with Jesus. I encourage you to do that. I'm gonna do that. I encourage you to do that. Let's pray together. So, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that is so powerful. And God, we admit we spend so much time and just trying to focus on external behavior and we ignore our hearts. A lot of times this is terrifying for some of us, honestly, because we know it's going to mean looking at some things where we've just sort of shoved some pain. We've shoved some lies into a safe, you know, and locked it into a closet. And this is going to mean maybe looking at some of those areas. And I just pray for the courage to do that for each one of us because it is so important. I pray for us, if we're kind of not sure whether or not to do this, I pray you'd open our eyes to recognize reality and to see the impact that these things are having in our lives and to have this motivation, this desire to change. Man, I'm just tired of this area in my life. I'm tired of this anger. I'm tired of this. I'm, I just I want to see change that we'd be willing to see and we'd be motivated to seek you about that. So I want to stop for just a moment here. You can just keep your head bowed, but I want you to ask the Lord this question. We're not going to go through all the questions. That's for this coming week. But let's start with the first question here. Is there an area of my life, God, is there an area of my life that's not healthy, an area that you want to focus on with me? This isn't about your spouse. This isn't about the person with you. This is between you and God. Ask the Lord in the quiet of your heart. Just ask the Lord this question. And see if he brings to mind a particular area. Now, if he did bring something to mind, that's great. If not, no worries. Just continue this week. Just spend time with him. It may be something if you're really, if this takes a lot of courage, but go to your spouse, go to a fellow employee, go to a friend and say, hey, what do you see in my life? But I just, I want to pray for us, Lord, that we would identify at least one area that that we really want to see some change in. And we would invite you into that. And and that's what I want to pray now. Lord, I want to pray for us this week that we would very intentionally, right now in our heart, we would decide, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast for however many days or whatever, but I'm going to set aside this time to really go after this in prayer and to engage my heart with you, Lord, in prayer. And so I want to pray that you would speak to each of our hearts about what that looks like this coming week to get alone with you and to begin to unpack these heart-engaging questions. And I pray, Lord, you would speak. I pray that you would reveal lies that we have been believing. I pray you would reveal things we have loved more than you. I pray you would reveal these good desires in our hearts that have gotten sidetracked by these other things that we think will satisfy and they don't. So I pray you'd get us in touch below the addictions and everything, get us in touch with what we really want. And I pray that you would pour life into those good desires and we would feed and fuel those good desires. So Lord, I'm, I'm just excited. I pray this would be an amazing week of just going to some significant places with you in our hearts. And so I pray more than anything, protection over this process. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would pour out your love and your truth, and you would get us on a pathway of authentic transformation, of heart-engaging transformation for each of us here. And I thank you for the fruit that's gonna result from that, for the improved relationships and work environments and, and families, just the, the impact of freedom and joy that, that's gonna happen because of this are responding to your word. So do that in us, do that in us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, thank you. I want, to, I want to pray as well, Lord, just, just pray for e-groups, the e- e-groups that may be um, discussing this passage and looking together at it. I just pray your word would bear fruit as we discuss it with others and as we go here with you, that you. Your word would bear fruit as you promise. Thank you, thank you. We love you with our hearts. And thank you for the opportunity we have to respond to you with our hearts. I mean, worship is about our hearts being engaged. Not not just our minds, our hearts. And so I pray that as the worship team leads us in um, several minutes here of response to your word, that you would set us free to worship you with our hearts, to love you with our hearts. Thank you, Lord. So why don't we stand at our West Campus and here at this campus. Let's stand. uh, If at some point you want to sit down, that's totally cool. But let's begin standing as the worship team leads us in responding to the truths that we have heard. I really believe this is the most important part of the service. It's not what we've heard, it's what we do with it. We open our hearts to the Lord and we respond to him. So let's do that, let's do that right now.